This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the Friday edition of the Black and Blue Report. We made it to the weekend. Hope this Friday finds you well. Hope everyone's thawed out across the Gulf South as it was cold the last few days, and hopefully everyone stayed safe. And we're glad to have you part of the podcast. It's the weekend, and we're going to get you ready for lots of things happening around the NFL and the NBA. Of course, the NFC and AFC championships will be played on Sunday. On the AFC side, it is the Jags versus the New England Patriots. And on the NFC side, it's the Philadelphia Eagles, not the 76ers, the Eagles against the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to cover everything on today's show. Of course, we'll also talk some Pelicans. They are coming off a, a tough loss to the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday night, 94-93, to but do complete a 2-1 road trip that gives them wins against the Knicks and the Celtics in overtime. So a little bit of a roller coaster ride on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. You beat the best team in the East on Tuesday, then fall short against the worst team in the East on Wednesday. So the Pelicans will hopefully get back on track on Saturday night when they welcome in the Memphis Grizzlies, and then they'll finish off the homestand on Monday against the Chicago Bulls. Joel Myers, television voice of the Pelicans, will join us later on in the show to talk about this weekend's game and also what he noticed on the three-game road trip. We'll also hear from Thomas Morstead. Of course, this has gone viral as far as what's been happening between Thomas and the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota after uh, Thomas Morstead completed the game last Sunday. Of course, he was battling the, the basically the broken ribs, but they ruled it torn cartilage in his ribs. Uh, after what happened there, a lot of fans in Minnesota decided to give back to his foundation. What you give will grow with all the pre- proceeds helping children in need. Thomas Morstead was very touched would say he would go to Minneapolis if it would get raise over $100,000. They're now well well on their way past that. They're around 150000 last I checked, and it's probably growing as we speak. So Caroline Gonzalez will talk with Thomas about that and just the unbelievable gesture that not only Minnesota fans have been doing, but everyone else as that story has gone viral. So really cool, and we'll get Thomas's reaction to it in just a few moments. But, of course, it is championship weekend around the NFL. I know it's still a little tough to realize that the Saints are not playing on Sunday night, but the show must go on, and we're going to talk to you, Stacey Dales, NFL reporter for the NFL Network. Actually, let's do that. So here we go. We'll do Stacey Dales, uh, Thomas Morstead, and Joel Myers. We'll start with Stacey Dales. Of course, you can follow her at Stacey Dales. Here she is, NFL Network reporter. Stacey, glad to have you on the podcast. Pleasure to be with you guys uh, after what really probably I would assume has been a real heartbreaking week uh, down there in Louisiana for you guys. So uh, at a game that I was at, but excited about the conference championships this weekend, and I'll be with the uh, the Vikings and the Eagles moving forward. So I'm looking forward to it. And we'll talk about the, the Vikings and the Eagles in just a minute, but we do have to go back to Sunday. I know Saints fans don't really want to keep talking about that game, but it's part of the grieving grieving process where you have to accept what happened. And Stacy, when that final play happened, you said you were on the Viking sideline. What was going through your mind when you saw that play evolve? I got to be honest. Um, I don't think any of us thought. At, you know, I think what's really remarkable is this game had, I think, four lead changes in the last three minutes of regulation, and then there were like three more lead changes in the last minute thirty. That's unprecedented. And I was literally beside, you know, the situation when it happened, when Diggs made the catch. 
I didn't know the Vikings were going to win. I mean, I thought this game was going to New Orleans. And as much as, you know, we, you know, you got to move forward and it stays later. Uh, was it Friday? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we have to look back and say this really was a Minneapolis miracle. I mean, you you got to think fate has is on their side and has been on their side this season. These Vikings are really a special team, the Saints as well. But wow, I was shocked. I was, um, I was as blown away as the players were, as the the, the coaches were. I grabbed my phone in that instant and I just started taking video on my phone. Yeah. Um, we were going to get Case Keenum if, if the Vikings won and NFL Network. So I, I was kind of like, holy cow, where do I go? Yeah. <laughs> and then they had to come back out and snap the ball, which kind of delayed everything further. So it was just a really bizarre, um, you know, exciting time that I've never honestly been a part of, Dina. Right, and there, and there are so many big moments that have happened in the playoffs throughout the years. We talk about the Music City Miracle. There's other big games. What, where does this moment rank among those that at least you've been involved in or just ones that you can remember? You know, it's hard because when you're in a game that has an explosive moment, it's always memorable. I've been with a number of Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually with the, the, the Vikings and Seahawks when Blair Walsh missed that field goal and the, Viking, and the, the Vikings lose in Minnesota and the Seattle Seahawks advance. I mean, there have been so many great games to have been a part of. Um, I think this one stands out, though, because it ended in regulation. This wasn't an overtime game. This was the final drive, the final play. Um, There was a second on the clock. And what I found most interesting is when I interviewed Stephon Diggs after, I said, was this play designed for you? And he said, no. We were in the huddle, and Case Keenum told us, this ball could go to any one of you guys, and I'm going to call on one of you in this moment. And it was Diggs that he called on. And God bless Marcus Williams. Uh, you know that was a blown tackle, a, a missed assignment, whatever you want to call it. You got to feel sorry for the young man, but uh, you know the game has to go one direction or another, and it went, you know, in their favor, the Vikings. Yeah, and let's talk about the Saints for for a second before we move on to the conference championships. Heading into the season, what were your expectations for the Saints, and did they exceed them with an eleven five record, a playoff win, and an NFC South divisional crown? Um, I think they exceeded a lot of people's expectations, to be quite honest. I think the division exceeded expectations. I mean, to send three teams to the playoffs, I covered the Panthers quite a bit. I covered the Saints a couple times. And uh, you, you have to give a ton of credit to Sean Payton for what he did. The way they started the season, not so good. But after you know after those first three games, to go on and win, what, 11 games with a super young defense and then – you know, this sort of emerging offense with these two running backs that were so diametrically different in Mark Ingram and Elvin Kamara. Um, and, and then Drew Brees. I mean, what a, what an incredible season. You think about this. The guy sets a single-season record in terms of completion percentage. He completes 72% of his passes this year. That is un- – I don't use the word unbelievable a lot, but that is truly unbelievable. Um, that staff did a hell of a job, honestly, and to get that young defense playing the way that it did, unfortunately for them, it kind of they kind of showed their their youth a little bit towards the uh, throughout the playoffs. Their numbers kind of dipped defensively, and you know when you go up against a defense like the Minnesota Vikings, which I believe is the best in football, and the numbers speak for themselves, they're great at all three levels. You have to be almost flawless 
to win that game on the road in Minneapolis. And it was just a tall task. And they nearly did it. The Saints nearly did it, if you can believe it. So, I mean, you hate the idea of, oh, they, you know, way to go, guys. You had a good season. You should be proud of yourselves because everybody wants to win. You know, the, the Houdat Nation, they're not happy right now. No. <laughs> they're pissed. They're de- and, you know, but at the same time, this team's coming back next year, and they'd better darn well get Drew Brees back. Yeah, they're definitely pissed, that's for sure, and I don't know. They'll, it'll take a little bit to move on, but we are going to move on right now. We'll talk about those conference championship games. I'll start with the AFC championship between the Patriots and the Jags. Stacy, of course, the big surprise is Jacksonville, even though they were the three seed heading into the playoffs. I don't think a lot of people expected them to be here, and what's even more surprising is their offense was the one that got them this far after last week's win in Pittsburgh. How do the Jags stack up with the defending Super Bowl champs? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that because – I had the Jags right at the end of the season in Tennessee. And that defense, so you talk about the Vikings defense, that might that they might rival the Vikings defensively. And when I was watching the Steelers game, I thought, holy cow, if Tom Brady has to pick a defense that he doesn't want to face, it's got to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, I mean, when you look at them from the front to the back and what Calais Campbell does and what that secondary does and their linebackers. I mean, their linebackers are so freaking good in terms of moving laterally sideline to sideline and then bringing speed up to stop the run. Um, they're, they're just dangerous. Um, that this defense, I mean, number two, total defense, number two, scoring defense, number one, passing defense. So Tom Brady, they, you know, haven't always stopped the run all the time this year, but I think that's in large part because they get after the quarterback so heavily. And so Tom Brady is probably in the playbook as we speak um, here Friday with just a couple days to go. And wow, this is going to be an interesting matchup. I don't know if Tom Brady, um, how he feels about facing this defense, but you know, if one, if there's one thing we know about Tom Brady, he, he wins. I mean, the guy is, he's the best quarterback besides to me, Aaron Rodgers. You look at the elite Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, um, Tom Brady right at the top and you know it'll be real interesting to see how he navigates through this how Leonard Fournette runs the ball because you know the jury's out on on Blake Bortles as as much as he's managed this this team and this offense um think about Blake Bortles against Tom Brady in New England Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean that that's a daunting task if you're Jacksonville yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, that's for sure. The other one will be very interesting as well, the Vikings and the Eagles, which you will be at on Sunday afternoon. And I feel like with these two teams, you look at the quarterbacks and Case Keenum and Nick Foles, and you know we've seen how well Case Keenum has done this season. Nick Foles uh, starting in the place of Carson Wentz. It, it's the two best teams in the conference seating-wise, but for some reason I don't get that feeling that it's the two best teams, even though they both definitely deserve to be there. What excites you about this NFC Championship game? What excites me is that we have to witness what I believe is a, a Vikings team having been around them at least, I would say, six times, seven, seven times this year. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in their locker room as a national reporter. Um, what excites me is that they have to go on the road and win this game, and they are so capable. It's unbelievable. They had a stretch in their season, towards the end of their season, when people were saying, Case Keenum can't do this, he can't, can't do that. They had a stretch where they went on the road. They beat the Washington Redskins. They came back home. They beat the Rams. They went on the road. 
beat Detroit on the road, beat Atlanta on the road, beat Carolina on the uh, lost to Carolina on the road, and then they went, went on to win their next three games. So this is, to me, a team that's battle-tested on the road. They've proved they can win on the road. But they've got to go win at Philadelphia. And I don't know if you've been there, um, but I have not. <laughs> that place that, that place is rocking. Those fans are can be incredibly, I say this very positively, volatile towards the opposition. Um, it's going to be cold. So it, it, it excites me. And then, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I always, I root for underdogs. And I look at these two quarterbacks and in, in, in Case Keenum and Nick Foles, and I think, God bless it, one of these guys is going to come out on top and be a hero. And, I mean, you look at what Case Keenum's done this year. He's 12-3 and three as a starter. You know, he 23 touchdowns to eight picks. And then you look at Nick Foles. Now, he hasn't had all the time. He's only played four games, but he's 4-1. and one. I mean, 3-1, and one, excuse me. Um, he's been efficient. They've put him in, in situations to be efficient, which is a credit to Doug Peterson, the head coach. So I think he's going to have to rely heavily upon um, Ajayi and, and LeGarrette Blunt. I think he's got great receivers. Um, he's got a fantastic tight end. Um, but he's going to have to manufacture points because Case Keenum is playing at a level that is um, worthy of going to a Super Bowl. Case Keenum is playing that well. His accuracy this year has been unbelievable. Since week 10, he is the most efficient quarterback in the National Football League, and that's special. Um, and they believe in him. I mean, that's what I say when I go back to this locker room. There's something about this team. I talked to players after the, the Saints win. And I went up to Brian Robinson, who's been there for 11 seasons. And I said, you know, have you been ever a part of a game like this? He said, never in my career. I said, what about this team? He told me, I've never been on a team like this before. He said, this unit is special. There's a chemistry and a brotherhood and a love in this locker room that I've never been a part of. And when you have that, those are the teams that win Super Bowls. So, you know, what excites me again, going on the road, can can this Minnesota team get one more W on the road in order to go play at home and make history in Minneapolis? I mean, I have goosebumps right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the conference championships are one of my favorite days of the year, and I think this year uh, will be extra special just for the chance to see Minnesota if they can play in front of their home crowd on Super Bowl Sunday. That's Stacey Dales, NFL Network reporter. You can follow her on Twitter, at Stacey Dales. Stacey, Thank you so much for your time. Uh, trying to stay warm there in Philadelphia and, and enjoy a, a very exciting weekend. I appreciate you guys so much for having me on. Uh, Who Dat Nation, you guys are incredible. And, you know, it'll be a lot of fun. I will stay warm, trust me. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top quality ingredients it would grow to become something that connected us. The neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe. Original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more. And always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. 
This Pelican season, the entire family can do it big with the Pierre's Party Pack presented by Cheetos Popcorn. Pelican ticket packages are available for select home games and include three or more tickets, combo meals, Cheetos Popcorn, and an on-court free throw experience with Pierre the Pelican, all for as low as $54. The next Pierre's Party Pack night is January 20th against the Memphis Grizzlies. For more information and to plan your next big night out with the gang, visit pelicans.com today. We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. All right, a feel-good story to get to on this Friday. This is a great story that leads you into the weekend. Of course, you've all heard what happened with Thomas Morstead. For some cartilage Sunday in the loss to the Minnesota Vikings. Remained in the game throughout. Obviously, he's the only punter on the team that can do what he does. And then he also came out for the extra point, the meaningless one, uh, when the Vikings sealed the win in the Minnesota Miracle. Since then, some Minnesota fans have been raising money for Thomas's foundation. What you give will grow. The donations have exceeded now $150,000. And Thomas said if the donations get up to $100K, he would head to Minneapolis on, Minnesota, on Super Bowl weekend and give that money to a children's hospital. So we'll expect to see Thomas there on Super Bowl re- weekend. Our Caroline Gonzalez caught up with Thomas earlier today and talked about what this week's been like for him. Thomas, thanks so much for talking with us today about the tremendous act of kindness that people have been putting forth towards your foundation, what you give will grow. First off, tremendous effort the other night with broken ribs, and it does sound cooler than torn cartilage, so we're just going to stick with broken ribs. Um, okay, I kept, appreciate it. <laughs> I kept waiting for the sportscasters to say that you you know, were going to be out for a little bit, but was there? you just kept uh, you know, coming back on the field. Was there any ever... Was there ever any doubt in your mind that you wouldn't be able to run back out there? Uh, no, I didn't think it was an option, honestly. Uh, he's only one of me, so, um, you know, I didn't, it didn't really run through my head that I wouldn't play. Can you tell us a little bit how um, this whole movement started after after the game on Sunday? Yeah, sure. I, um, I called my executive director, on Monday, just saying we'd received a couple thousand dollars in donations uh, after the game. And then we got another call from him later that night saying that they were all from Minnesota. So we started digging a little bit and realized somebody had uh, posted on Reddit that I guess they were inspired by my performance maybe and um, that that you should consider donating to my foundation. And so um, on Tuesday, just uh, woke up and there were I don't know how many, must have been five thousand, six thousand dollars in donations, and I just kind of acknowledged it on my social media and said, "Hey, we'll give all the money back to a hospital in Minnesota from all these uh, Vikings fans." And I think once that happened, it really started getting picked up and started to snowball. And then uh, once it got to fifteen thousand dollars, a few hours later, I just said, "Hey, look, I'll I'll fly up there the week of the Super Bowl and and." Uh, you know, do the check presentation myself if we can get to $100,000. And that uh, obviously got a lot of traction as well. And uh, the rest is history. I think we're over $150,000 now in the past 24 hours, which is insane. Um, so it's very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what What was your initial reaction when you heard that the people who were giving were from Minnesota? Obviously, you just lost to the Minnesota Vikings, which was tragic. And um, 
What, what was your initial thought when you found out that those people were giving to you and just a huge um, amount of generosity coming from them? Well, I just wanted to know why, really. I didn't understand why they were doing it. So I read the post, and I guess people, number one, were uh, just were inspired a little bit that I stayed in the game and kind of battled through it. And then, um, and then also uh, the fact that I came out for the you know the last play of the of the game, the, the two point conversion that was meaningless. And I guess some people thought that was good sportsmanship. And it's all that coupled together just to kind of um, gotten people to um, you know all band together to make a little contribution, and it's added up to a lot. You said you were um, you wanted to know why. I saw the video of you um, trying to explain to your son Maxwell why people were giving. Have you been able to speak to him a little bit more about what's going on? Is he understanding a little bit more? Because I mean, I'm an adult not and really. I'm kind of having trouble understanding myself. So um, right, no, he not really. I mean, he we were just building a puzzle and I was explaining how people from way up here in Minnesota are giving to people way down here in New Orleans and. Uh, you know, it just looked a little perplexed. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very unique thing that's happening, and, uh, you know, um, it's just very cool. When do you plan to go to Minnesota to present the check? Uh, I'll do it a day or two before the Super Bowl. Gotcha. Um, you know, they're, they're having their whole week of the Super Bowl up there, so I'll, I'll do it then. Well, that's awesome. Thanks so much for talking, today, talking with us today, Thomas. We really appreciate it, and we hope to see this um, – enormous act to keep growing and you said you're up to 150,000 right now yep well that's awesome we hope to see it grow some more throughout the the next few ways few days and see it continue to grow even more okay well thank you good stuff there from thomas and caroline let's hope those donations continue to pour in maybe we can get to two hundred thousand dollars nicely done by everyone involved all right we'll turn our attention to pelicans next We'll hear from the television voice of the Pelicans, Joel Myers. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Boom! Now Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. What is big? Big is Drew Holiday. Red hot from the perimeter and ice at the foul line. Big is DeMarcus Cousins, a 6'11 defensive flamethrower that vaporizes man-on-man coverage. Big is Anthony Davis, a laser-guided missile of athleticism aimed at the rim. Come see the Pels in a Southwest Division matchup against Chris Paul, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets. Friday, January 26th. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. New Orleans Pelicans. Do it big. Follow us on Twitter at BlackBlueReport. Let's wrap up today's show with some Pelicans talk. Joining me now is the television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans, Joel Myers. Joel, uh, I say welcome back to the Big Easy. It seems like it was a very cold East Coast trip. Cold and productive, except for the way things ended on a sour note in Atlanta. But a really strong start to the road trip when you consider uh, the, the resilient aspect of the New York game coming back from 19 down in the third, nine down with three to play, three and a half to play. 
and uh, manufacturing a win there, and then maybe their most complete hard effort in Boston where they just competed really hard. Uh, a lot of good things would come if you compete that hard every night. Yeah, you said the the last game against the Hawks left a sour note um, on the road trip, but you still go 2-1. and one. Um, Obviously, you wanted to go 3-0 with a chance to beat the Hawks, but do you think do you still call this a successful road trip, beat, thinking that you beat the number one team in the Eastern Conference, even though you did lose to the worst team in the conference the next night? Yeah, a teaser of a road trip, I guess you could say. Yeah. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows, Daniel, because you know what you can do. You know how good you can be uh, at times and, and what you're capable of doing when you play all 48 minutes and then, of course, 53 on consecutive games. But that's the key. The The first 24 minutes were, were okay. They weren't phenomenal in Atlanta. They were, I thought they were more, up by 15 at the break, 60-45. It wasn't a, a complete effort, but Atlanta helped. And then Atlanta got their act together, and they outworked you in the second half. So you can't come out and walk through the third quarter, and they really didn't have a great deal of energy. And you can say, well, they played the night before in another overtime game. But that's the case for everybody in the NBA. Whether it's back-to-backs or three games in four nights, uh, you have to be prepared. And I think it's more psychological even than physical because these are young guys to the core of this team, middle 20s. When you talk, uh, refer to A.D., uh, Boogie, and Drew. So uh, it, it was a disappointing finish when it's all said and done, though. Remember this team last year won 13 road games. They're now 12-12 and 12 on the road. So fortunately, they're ahead of schedule when it comes to that. The disappointing aspect of it, and, and you've touched on it before, you got you have to capitalize on the sub-500 teams. The elite teams in the NBA win between 70 and 80% of their games against the, the sub-500 teams. And, and the Pels need to do that, especially over the stretch coming up. Is it frustrating, too, that you've had a chance to go on a four-game winning streak four times this season? Unfortunately, you've lost every game trying to get to a four-game winning streak. I know we all would talk about turning a corner with this team, but do they need to put a streak together in order for you to say, all right, this team is starting to uh, kick it up a notch? If they don't put a streak together, we're going to go to the final week of the season not knowing if they're going to be a postseason team. So that's the frustrating aspect of it all. It's good for the cardiologists in the area. That's obvious, <laughs> as we've seen over the last couple of weeks and all the close games, because out of the last, what, half dozen games, it's been six or less, uh, the difference. They've been that close. So they're in good shape right now. You won't feel like they're in good shape if they don't put together a run. And remember, when they did go to the playoffs uh, a couple of years ago, they 45 wins was enough, and they did get a little spurt going over the last 15 games of the regular season. And that's what's required now. So there's plenty of time, uh, and they're getting better, hopefully getting healthier at Solomon Hill. Who knows? He could be back of All-Star break or a little bit after the All-Star break. So it could be better. But they have to capitalize on the losers, the teams that they face that have losing records because it's only going to be more difficult when the Houston Rockets are coming up and we can go down the list of teams that they're going to face that are going to be difficult. Uh, they just have to take care, especially at home. And hopefully it doesn't come back and get them the home losses, whether it was the Knicks, Dallas, or Sacramento games that got away against the sub-500s. 
What's missing with this team right now, Joel? We can pinpoint some certain things of why this team can't turn that corner, but in your eyes, what's the one thing that is missing from this team that can really that's preventing them from turning that corner? I think the last night's game, or, or actually a couple of nights ago when they were at Atlanta, is a perfect example. They play really well for 24 or 36 minutes, and it's a 48-minute game. And you can't get outscored coming out of the locker room when you're up 15, 26 to 10. You can't lay an egg in any 12-minute period. There's going to be stretches where you just don't have it. But you you have to compensate. You have to find a way to battle through it. So And get at least close to even on the terms of the opposition. It can never be for a lack of effort or a lack of energy. You can't have somebody say, and you know, we've heard it before, I, I don't understand why we didn't have the energy. Well, it's up to you. You're the guy who has to be the spark. You're the guy, maybe you're the catalyst, whoever that is. But you have to play 48 minutes. You have to play hard every night. They've shown us now what they're capable of. Boston was a great example. When you come out, and they led by 10 at the break at Boston, 58-48, when you come out and you play with that much energy and passion at every trip and you never take a possession off, we know what they can do. So now show it to me on a regular basis. Let's talk positives here about the Pelicans. I think Ian Clark has been a positive lately for the Pels coming off the bench and a nice spark. And especially, unfortunately, Jameer Nelson has been struggling lately. It's been nice to see Ian Clark step up for the Pels. What have you been seeing from Clark recently? Well, he's a pro. He makes good decisions. He doesn't put you in a, a, a bad spot. He, he, everybody's going to have turnovers. Everybody's going to have slight breakdowns, whether it's at the offensive or defensive end of the floor. But uh, Ian Clark made big plays for a team that won a ring last year. Ian Clark was on the floor a lot for the Golden State Warriors last year in tough situations. So he's not overwhelmed by the moment. And he's just a stabilizer. He, he He's a pro beyond his years, put it that way, because he's a middle 20s guy as well, not drafted out of that school in, in Nashville, Belmont. And just he plays hard. He gets after it. He's got a nice jumper. He had the little runner, as we saw, that went in Atlanta. Uh, he's playing efficient basketball, so he's going to be a part of the rotation. He's a guy that, that he could be a consistent source off the bench. And, and let's face it, Pels have only had nine games this year where their bench has outscored the opposition's reserves, and they've gone 6-3. and three. There are plenty of positives for the Pels, though. Darius Miller, what a Darius Miller has been this year. And it was on display again, 7 of 9 in Atlanta in 30 minutes of play. He was when he was on the floor, the Pels were a plus 13. He was 3 of 4 from beyond the arc. And who would have believed he's, he's shooting at 43%, a little over 43% from 3. So there's plenty of positives. Anthony Davis, and we can get on the list through holidays since the 1st of December, has been exceptional. And still... If you look and you break down the best two-way guards in the NBA, Drew Holiday's right up there in the top five. The way he competes at the defensive end of the floor, the pride he takes at the defensive end of the floor. So there's plenty of pluses. It's just we're getting together for this conversation after a disappointment against the team with the worst record in the NBA. Very true, and I don't mean to be all doom and gloom on this Friday, Joel, as there has been a lot of pauses recently for the Pelicans, including a 2-1 road trip. And you're still sitting at six in the Western Conference, but... It's a little, it's a little, uh, I would say it's a lot of people there. There's a lot of teams there caught up in the mix at the, at five through nine. You have now the Clippers rolling right now. What are you seeing by the bottom of the Western Conference standings with the Pelicans clumped in there with so many other teams? I don't think it's going to go away. 
I think everybody's going to be right there. It's going to be, and maybe Oklahoma City gets a little bit better because of their big three, and maybe they separate themselves in the five seed. Uh, but when you look at the Pels, the Clippers, Portland, Denver, and Utah's not completely out of the mix. And Denver's about to get Paul Millsap back, and that's what scares you about Denver. And, and Trey Lyles has been good for them in that deal with Utah. So he's gotten reps and minutes. They may not be there as much, but those are the teams that are going to be competing. I'd be shocked if Minnesota didn't stay in the four seed and gave that up to Oklahoma City. Minnesota's got Jimmy Butler playing at a really nice level. So uh, the top four should be Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, and Minnesota. After that, it's up for grabs, though. You've got five teams, maybe even six, most likely six, battling for those four spots. Oklahoma City, the Pels, Clips, Portland, Denver, and Utah. It's going to go down to the wire. We may not know the Pels' fate until the final seven to ten days of the regular season. Which make games like Saturday and Monday more important for the Pelicans as far as taking care of those teams under 500, as you mentioned, that is the Memphis Grizzlies, who you are 0-2 against this season, Joel. Uh, how do you make it? How do you get that first win over the Grizzlies on Saturday night? Outwork them. It's as simple as that. Don't walk into a game. Show the same type of energy you had in the first 12 minutes at Boston. Be prepared from the opening jump, the opening tip. Pels, uh, granted, they're not as deep as some of the other teams we were just talking about, and I mentioned it with the reserves. Uh, I wouldn't want a, a team that had a top-five bench score uh, where your starters don't do enough. Pels starters do enough. So if you were to get a little bit more out of the reserves and then improve to the middle of the pack defensively and all all that's required there is avoiding the turnovers. Too many turnovers are open floor turnovers and runouts. If they get into the middle of the pack in defensive efficiency by the end of the year, they're going to be. They should be in good shape. Offensively, it's significant their improvement this year. Top five across the board in scoring, field goal percentage, the way they're shooting the three point uh, shots as well. And nobody could have anticipated that the way the three went. And, and in fact, they went up to first at one point on three-point field goal percentage and where they started the season from beyond the arc. That's a surprise. Uh, but they're doing a lot of things well at the offensive end of the floor. Need to clean up the turnovers, the points off mistakes, and just get into the middle of the pack and defensive efficiency. Things should work out. All right, let's hope for a successful home stand here on Saturday and Monday. That's Joel Myers, television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. Joel, welcome back home. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck on the call Saturday night. We'll do it again, Daniel, hopefully after W. And let's hope the Pelicans get that W on Saturday night against the Memphis Grizzlies. Remember, a 6 o'clock tip between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Of course, we'll have all the action on News Talk 99.5 WRNO with Sean Kelly and John DeShazer. And you can watch Joel, David, and Jen Hale on Fox Sports New Orleans. It's also a giveaway. First 8,000 fans will receive a cooling towel courtesy of Auctioner. It is health and fitness night at the Smoothie King Center. Again, with a family-friendly start of 6 p.m. We hope to see you there. And on Monday, of course, we'll be recapping, hopefully, a Pelicans win. And we'll also recap the conference championships. We will have a Super Bowl matchup set after Sunday night's action. That'll do it for this Friday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Everyone have a great weekend. It's supposed to be a little warmer out, so hopefully you can enjoy the outside more than you have this week. Until Monday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report.